It's a big question. What is the work that I do? Something about um, showing up and being present for whatever's there. Um, my work usually starts with conflict. When there's conflict or when a system is struggling, a team is struggling, a person is struggling, a family is struggling. And um, I guess oftentimes it's that they're struggling enough that they become invested in getting support. And um, my work is restorative and um, speaking to like nonviolent consciousness, so bringing compassion wherever there's a lot of um, judgment and disconnection happening. So it can be, it can be for an organization, it can be for a family, it can just be for a person who's struggling to find their way in life or has, has got to, gotten to a point where they're wanting to re-envision who they are and really come to terms with the patterns that keep showing up in their lives. So all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm realizing that you've been on quite a path from the very first conversation that we had as a phone call. I think it was trying to connect around interfaith and youth work or something like that. Yeah. Um, so my introduction to you, Kristen, was um, in my very early experience of nonviolent communication, um, when I was first bringing it into interfaith dialogue with kids, and we were bringing kids up from the Middle East and doing interfaith camps, and I was looking for a, um, I was looking for a Muslim person who could hold dialogue in a way that all needs would be met and everyone would feel held um, in combination with me. Um, and it's been a, a really delightful and deepening journey to, to both have you witness my growth and change and coming into what I'm doing now and to watch you. Mm. So we've been through a number of iterations because I'm remembering when I worked for the city of Bellevue, you came to my training to be a mediator. And um, I'm remembering how much longer you'd been part of the nonviolent communication world and how you were raising your children um, in alignment with those values while it was still new for me. Mm -hmm. So um, you've been an inspiration to me too. Well, I'm imagining since we're doing a podcast, maybe I should share a little bit about like what I do in terms of what does it look like? Um, yeah, I'd love to hear that. So I am, well, I show up as a nonviolent communication uh, trainer, uh, consultant, and coach. And that means that I do anything from offering workshops in how to learn the ways of communication and the skills and tools to be more, have more intentionality in your life in ways that align with your values. Um, and I also um, go into communities and support the building of trust and community that's aligned to values. And I support learning ways of holding tensions and conflicts when they arise 
so that they're actually seen as like the juice of change and growth and more intimacy rather than something that we shy away from and are afraid of because it results in harm and we lose power to be in connection with others. So I do circle work um, and that can range from working with schools to working with faith communities to um, businesses. And um, what do I love most? What I, I think what I love most about it is the, I'm like a vulnerability junkie. I think most people are afraid of being vulnerable and certainly being vulnerable in front of a group. And for me, um, this work is about deconstructing systems. It's really about um, questioning all the things that keep us in boxes and straight jackets and allow us to be more connected to who we really are and allow us to trust that we can, when we show up as who we really are, that's when magic starts happening. Like playing small is, what's the Mary Oliver? Playing small is not a, is not something that serves ourselves or others. And so I create containers where people begin to shed the things that they're afraid of and start being able to show up and be real. Um, and so a lot of the work is around equity and race and uh, traditional ways patriarchy shows up and doing it in ways that are gentle so that people um, feel less need to defend themselves or to recoil from engaging with looking at hard things that we've kind of been enculturated into. So what do I love most? Um, I love the sense of being able to show up in a place and have no connection with anyone and very quickly to be able to be in a place where we're all being vulnerable together, including me. Like it's almost like the, the adrenaline rush of jumping off a cliff mm. and then seeing whether or I can fly on the way down. Mm -hmm. And some parts of me have a lot of trust that, um, that I, I will always fly because even falling is flying. And parts of me um, are really vulnerable and at a lot of risk. Mm. And I find that the more I do that, the more my, um, like doing the work is doing my own inner work. Like I have the privilege of being able to deepen and grow in myself every time I show up for work. I think that's that I get more and more inner connection and inner trust and more expansiveness within me is like the gift of what the work gives me. So I think, I think what you, what you're kind of, pointing me to is, is to name that actually the work, what's work and what's play and what's life for me have all kind of become merged. Um, I've had a group that signed up for a year and we built the yard and I have an urban farm on my sidewalk that supplies almost all of uh, my and my neighbor's um, summer vegetable needs um, that was built by a community who wanted to learn restorative practice and nonviolent communication. And we 
kind of learned it while actually working together. So we would learn the theory and then we would go out and work together and then we would eat together. Um, and we really became community over a year. And so for me, the lines are blurred. Um, this is like I'm living what I want to, the world to be. And I think it was Marshall who said, get very clear about what you want mm. and then live that way. And so um, I, it's hard for me to distinguish between the work and life. Mm. It's totally integrated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So um, I'm interested in hearing more about the support system that you have in place so that you can actually show up and do this work. Um, Even if there's fun and play, there's certainly a lot of growth and um, there can be challenges. So I'd like to know more about your support. Yeah, thank you. So you're part of my support. One of the core practices of nonviolent communication is empathy. And it's about creating a, I mean, I could point out Brene Brenner's wonderful little cartoon video about what is empathy when we climb down into the hole with somebody and sit with them. Um, So for me, this is also a reason I say the life and the work are completely integrated is I have about five assigned hours of empathy a week where I meet with one other person and we do what I call an empathy swap. So I show up with anything that's challenging and what's going on for me. It could be a work-related thing. It could be a relationship that's personal. It could be some decisions I have to make. and I, 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 I share what's going on for me and then I get what's called pure NBC empathy back. And I practice both giving and receiving it with somebody else who's um, also been doing this work for a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of like I'm not asking anyone who's learning with or from me to do anything that I'm not doing myself. So I too am going inwards and considering what patterns are showing up for me, uh, what judgments do I have about people, things, things that people are doing and saying and my own showing up. And I, I, get, I work in that way to get self-connection, which is like filling up my reservoir, um, my tank. And I do that five times a week for an hour and a half. And I also, as you know, have inherited a wonderful little hot tub in my backyard. So water therapy is kind of my daily practice for self-care. And um, so the combination of those two things Ah, is what I do for support. Um, I also also have like a 911 list that you're on. Yeah, that I can just text out to when I'm needing support in the moment because something's become overwhelming or I'm needing clarity about something and I just want 10 minutes to bounce something off somebody. Mm -hmm. And how does that enrich your life? Um, Wow. Um, It gives me a sense of community. And it's community on a different level from the people that I go out to the movies with or 
uh, for a meal. Um, it's like I feel on various layers that I have different communities to tap into for what I'm needing. So I feel really held. Mm. Uh, it almost becomes like I don't imagine a situation where I don't get support. There's just a lot of trust that support will show up. Yeah. Yeah. How's hearing that? Um, certainly you, I know that you experience like all of us moments of pain or confusion, but to know that you are loved and that you do have community and that your needs matter, I think, um, allows you to show up in the world the way that you do. Yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah. So I feel touched to know that I'm part of that. And, um, and it's this piece around all the, all the sort of trained judgments that we have about vulnerability, that we, we think vulnerability is a risk and we think that it's a weakness. Um, and, and how just being trained that way prevents us from truly being able to both get the support and give it in a way that, that makes almost anything possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the training, um, basically the cultural practices and the parenting um, relationships and from our earliest times, I think really do influence our willingness to show up vulnerably and to ask for what we need. And I do think that that's some of the most powerful work and also to be able to have the inner dialogue, like the practice of self-empathy. And especially, I think that's important when we haven't figured out who and where our support system is. Yeah. Yeah. And this piece around the, the idea that we have to do things alone. Like we have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. We have to like show up. We have to show up in the first place. Sometimes even when it doesn't meet our needs to do that. Like it's, we've been so trained to move away from ourselves. This is something we've inherited. Um, it's in our genes already at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how, what are we restoring to? I, I think really the, the goal is becoming more where I am growing, where my growth is, edge is, is the idea of how do we transform things into something quite different. Mm-hmm. And when you say it goes back further than our own childhoods, I'd like to hear more about that. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's something about power and privilege mm-hmm. and how um, certainly the dominant culture here in America, culture that we've been schooled in, um, is about um, who, who has power and privilege and how do they have it. And whether it's parents over children or men over women or you know, people are white over people of color. Um, there are many ways in which the whole way things are set up that isn't familial, that is stacked in ways that we, that, 
the more I do this work, the more I get awareness of how that plays out. Mm -hmm. So the microcosm, the macrocosm, and the systems at play for, that go back thousands of years. How, how scarcity and um, scarcity and power, fear of losing it, mm -hmm. need to have it. Mm -hmm. Fear of um, internal of, of what's been internalized to keep us safe when we don't have it. Mm -hmm. That keeps playing out. It takes a different kind of observation and noticing um, to be aware that our thoughts are actually influencing our biological responses. So, yeah. So, so that I mean, that's that's the point about actually this work doesn't start out in changing the systems and changing the environment. It actually starts out within ourselves. Like, how can we pay attention to what's happening inside us? Like, there are more neural pathways coming from the body up to the brain than there are from the brain going down. So we've been trained to believe that all the information we need is coming in from the outside world. That's what we've got to determine. But in actual fact, human beings are built in a way where the intention was actually for them to get most of the information from the inside. And we've like, because we've had so much suffering, we tend to like live within our heads and in our brains rather than living within our bodies and truly listening to what the sensations that, that are initiating there mm -hmm. are telling us. Because everything we do and everything we say comes from a place of our own needs inside us. So we, when we can connect to that, we have more choice. When we're actually connected to what's happening in our body, we can connect to what, what's really, why am I making the choices I'm making to show up in the way that I am? Yet another level of integration, right? Because our thoughts stimulate our actions. Um, unless we're actually physically under real stress, like a fight or flight, and then our body... It's the way we read our environment about what's a threat and what's not a threat. Yeah. And I, and I would, you know, now that you've brought that up, I'd like to say that actually for me, trauma is simply a painful experience that we went through unaccompanied. Nobody, we weren't metaphysically held. Nobody gave us empathy or care when we were in this really painful place. And so, um, when you say it's not fight, flight or freeze, like I actually think many of us are reacting from a place of fight, flight or freeze most of the time. Because we've experienced trauma in our lifetime. Yes, and because it gets triggered, right? Something similar in the environment happens to a previous occurrence of something that may be completely unrelated but something in what happened was, was similar. We, we judge it in our minds. There's something similar about this. And so the response happens automatically. Mm -hmm. And the more we connect with what's going on in our bodies, the more choice we have to recognize, to be able to engage our brains, to think, oh, this isn't a lion in the bush. This is actually just an exam test or... This is someone coming into my environment whose background I don't know, and I've been given a whole lot of prejudgments about 
who they might be because of all these other contexts. And actually, I want to see their humanity and hear their ideas rather than defend myself against them. Got to slow it way down, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I noticed right now in this moment, I'm feeling uncomfortable because there's two pieces here. There's, I'm thinking, of course, I'm having a conversation with Kristen. We're going to go down into the depths of what this is for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm also thinking there's an audience here. <laughs> and um, so I'm feeling, I guess, a little vulnerable around how serious this conversation is. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm also recognizing the degree to which I'm used to making connection requests to get feedback so that I can internally determine what are my needs in this moment. And I can't say, is this actually interesting for people to listen to? Because there's no one opposite me here except you. Mm. <laughs> what are you intuiting from how I'm responding? Well, I know this is this is conversation that's that's juice for you. Mm -hmm. It is. <laughs> this is where we usually go. <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm wanting to uh, just name my need for trust. Mm -hmm. That what um, that what brings us alive will contribute to others. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I mean these are the pretty much the only kind of conversations that I am seeking out. So I'm grateful that that's something that we share. Yeah, thanks for making that distinction about um, when people are able to discern how their environment and their previous experience, you know, what it's like in this actual present moment what's what's alive right in this moment yeah well there's a piece for me around of course when we think about all the things we've lived through and the ways the unskilled ways we've tried to meet our needs and others have tried to meet their needs and how we've impacted each other it's almost like being a little buoy on the waves just being buffeted about of course we don't have trust of course we're frightened and so the work is really about how to support that so we can shift from having to engage in challenging situations and even every day from a place of fear and uncertainty to be able to shift to a place of compassion and care and love mm -hmm. so from those places we're pretty grounded ways that they can meet their needs some people call it right livelihood and certainly when there's sharing and contribution um i think that reaffirms the idea that i actually matter and that people do want to support me and when it's done in a way where there's trust and another it's another way of being vulnerable right but i know you said this conversation was getting kind of serious and um, when I think about celebrations <laughs> and things that are fun and enlivening, um, any learning that you have from um, conscious money that 
sparks joy. I mean, I would love to hear about that. It's so funny when you, you say you're looking for something light and you're going to money. It's <laughs> <laughs> the most stupid thing for people. Um, I think my learning has been that um, money is energy. It's just energy. And it, um, this energy, just like water, changes form. So it's like I see my value being recognized. Like all the things that I think I need money for, some of them I do need physical paper money for. And some of them can be their needs that can be met with or without money. If I'm creative enough to recognize the need as opposed to the money as a barrier, like the recognition of the need. So I have just, I have stepped into an organic trust that if I show up for things that are asked of me, things will show up for me. And that's kind of over the last four years that has turned out to be an abundance. So there's something about when I said it's energy and it's like water, sometimes it's rain and sometimes it's steam. And sometimes it's the ocean. Uh, sometimes it's ice. It doesn't look the same. It never goes away. It just changes form. Mm -hmm. So since I've had that understanding, I recognize that somebody comes to my office and they give me money and then they leave with something as valuable as the money. And they take that and use it. They use whatever wisdom, whatever integration, whatever um, healing they've, they've done within themselves. That actually goes out and manifests in them becoming bigger in the world. So what's happening is they are leaving no poorer than they came in. In fact, they're leaving with that paper money having turned into something that's actually more usable for them and will generate even more of what they came in and offered to me. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, I'm finding my life is moving in that way. Like what I, I mean, I've been through a number of transitions. I'm at the point where my children are now all living somewhere else and I'm no longer um, in a marriage, so I'm on my own. So what I've needed most is community. And so this work, which is actually generating the income when I've expanded to say, well, I'm holding a needs consciousness, so I'm not going to have a set rate. I'm going to work with what, your, what are your needs and what are my needs, and we'll find the sweet spot around what you pay me, that sometimes I'm working for no money, and sometimes I'm, I'm actually working for exactly what I think my work is worth from a monetary value. But what has happened is the way I have run the programming that I do is I've ended up generating the community that I need. And so I see money as only one small part. So I can be rich with and without money. And the outcome of it is that when I'm not attached to earning the money itself is the work has grown so much that out of it have come referrals for organizations that really have capacity to fund the work.
And so it's sort of a cycle for me, just like the steam and ice and water. So now I'm actually being able to leverage my privilege and my power of having been doing this work for seven years and getting more known for the people of color that I work with who do not have access mm-hmm. to organizations and people who, because of the systems, look primarily to people who look like themselves. And so now I'm able to carry bigger teams and refer work because of all of this. And I think it's about the resting in trust. I think I'm coming back to the quote get very, from Marshall, get very clear about what you want and then just live it and trust that the universe wants for you what you want for yourself. And if you allow it, if you don't get in the way with all of these judgments and obstacles we put there, then it manifests. Again, it's a systemic thing that money has become, has come to replace other things. Money has become the symbol for wealth mm-hmm. and the symbol for sustainability. And I really grieve that that's the way we see things. Um, and I, I do want to name when there are people who, you know, who are prevented from having access in the same way that most of us are having, like how critical it is, uh, both that we shift that paradigm um, and that we recognize that it's a privilege to have access to education, to um, schools, to living in certain communities where there are supermarkets that you don't have to travel a long way to get what you need, all sorts of things that prevent people of color and the global majority from getting exactly what they need. You started to speak a little bit about the organizations that you're able to support now. And I was wondering if you could talk about the center Yeah, thanks. So I started the center. Um, I had a small organization called Empowering Connection, which uh, you knew me seven years ago was a small coaching and mediation business. Um, And I realized as I began to see how much pain the community in Seattle was in here around well, around a lot of things, but that there was a longing for a different way of of working with conflict um, and not only conflict with inequity. Um, And so I had this vision to just create something bigger that hopefully other people would collaborate in the work with. Um, And so I shifted as the business was growing and I was starting to do more for organizations and bigger communities than one-on-one work, Um, I shifted from Empowering Connection and I started the Center for Restorative Solutions. And initially it was just me. Um, Now I actually have an administrator and um, I'm currently, there's a mentorship program running for a year where um, there are 15 people, half of whom are people of color, who are already, some of them, NVC trainers and practitioners, um, and some of them have had experience in restorative justice. And we are all actually living, not living, we're working and being in community together for a whole year experientially, learning to do the work the way I've learned to do it. And so my hope is that some of those people, instead of us all working in parallel, will begin to become contractors for the center. 
And um, the, the idea for me is the same as the money, that if we're all digging for water, we'll each dig three inches deep. But if we all dig together, we'll hit the aquifer and that will allow us to bring change in a way that individually on our own, we can't do. And it speaks to me of changing systems because our culture is so individualistic. Um, and so I see my meaning and purpose now as creating the platform for others to be able to be the change they want to be in the sectors they want to do it. Um, and to maybe even step back a little from the work, although I love it very much, but to uh, create space for voices that haven't been heard and to um, expand this, which is really exciting for me, especially in this time where I feel so much is closing in on us in terms of compassion, in terms of holding more needs. Like it feels urgent. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like important to get this message or this consciousness and get more awareness out into the world. Yeah, my need to matter or shine myself seems to matter less. Part of the collaborative abundance and trust that you've been cultivating all these years. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, thanks. I feel seen. <laughs> Is there anything that you're um, feeling extra curious about these days? I'm curious about where we're going politically. I'm curious about what's mine. Um, curious about what's yours to do. I'm actually curious about all of us. I remember the, the indigenous um, narrative that when the settlers came to America, there was this story that the indigenous people said they didn't see the ships. And I find myself walking in community where it feels surreal. And I have a sensation of, ah, oh, now I understand what it means to say we didn't see the ships. Like we're living in one reality while another is happening around us, in us, underneath us, in front of us. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm curious about. Like I'm, I'm just curious, where, where are we going? What are we going to do? What's ours to do? Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is informed by the work that I um, do with Freedom Project. Like really being Freedom Project is an organization that was formed by Marshall Rosenberg and a few other key people that uh, speaks to raising awareness about the system of incarceration. So supporting the liberation of people both inside and outside of the prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see that it's kind of a microcosm that allows me to really question the choices and the decisions and the judgments that we have about who we are and who's acceptable and who isn't and why and how. So I'm curious about all of that. Wow. That's probably a whole nother <laughs> conversation. <laughs> 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 